All right, let's get into this. We have a lot to cover. I'm going to be moving at a million miles an hour. I drank coffee. And so we're going to get through a lot. All right, so take out your Bibles. You're going to need to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're taking a break from the Being Jesus series because for the next four weeks, this week, three more, we are going to talk about how God has organized, structured our church and putting us into a healthier place, designing systems for alignment so that we can do all that God has called us to be. And you go, man, that sounds boring. No, no, it is not because I will yell a lot. That's why. And so as I'm talking about this stuff, you're going to find out there's a treat every week about different reveals. I'm going to give you different fun information and you want to make sure that you're tracking on that. So let me give you a little bit of an outline on what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the big picture, right? I want to kind of blow things up from a 30,000 foot level and show you what we've been working on and where our heart is over the last year and a half. There's been so many things that we have done and orchestrated. It's now time to go public with it and let you know about all the fun stuff that we have. Now, next time we're together, I'm going to talk about the clarified vision work that we had been doing over that year and a half, talking about our core values and talking about where we're headed and what our mission is and, and all these things. I'm also going to show you how we reorged our departments and leaders so that you know who's leading what, so you can be sure who to go to and you can be glad that you have amazing people at the helm. So we'll talk a little bit about those things. And I do have a very critical announcement about that uh, next week where you have to be here. If you're not here, you're lame. That was not in the Bible. Okay, here we go. Third week that we're going to be together, I'm going to talk about how we are adjusting some strategies to more appropriately harness intentional discipleship. So I'm going to be talking about how you can get involved and the things that are going to bless you and the different systems we put into play that you can work in and how you can join in to be a part of that process. Then the fourth week, and this is very critical, we're doing a review and a relaunch of our building campaign that we're in right now. So we said it was going to be a two-year campaign. It's still a two-year campaign. But what we want to do is give you guys an update on where we're at and then be praying through what we want to do with what we have in front of us. All right? So that means that we want to talk about, hey, you have a pledge out there. Did you get a chance to fulfill that pledge? What about not? And all those different things. So in light of that, let me just share uh, and bring you all up to speed. Everybody realizes, unless you're brand new, that we are seeking to buy our first home ever as a church after 19 and a half years. Now, I came in 18 years ago. All we have done is paid rent all those years for almost two decades. We wanted a home, and you all agreed with us that we could go purchase a home. So we found one down the road where industrial meets Washington. There's a 22 and a half acres of land out front that we will eventually build on our ultimate campus. We will be retrofitting the campus behind it, which used to be Consolidated Communications or Sure West building. So the things that we've been talking about a lot. And to be able to go into there, we are going to have on that fourth week, some guys that work with us from the outside, they're going to come in and show you what an incredible financial blessing it was 
that we took a risk on and we went out in faith. I don't want to steal their big reveal, but I'm going to give them uh, some excitement to walk into. I want you to know why it was important that we moved. Because some of you go, man, why do we need to just go into a bigger place? Uh, Going into the bigger place was only useful for one reason. Because of our size limitation, we were crushing the growth of our church. Other than that, we don't really care. Bigger only means more complexity. Bigger only means more headaches. So no, bigger is not better. It's just bigger, right? And so no, that was not why we had to move for financial reasons. We have been handcuffed to our rent for almost two decades. It has locked down what we can and cannot do for our staffing. It is locked what we can and can't do in terms of ministry. We needed to move into an ownership scenario where we could begin to restructure and have some freedom and help. I know it sounds weird to go, hey, we're going to a bigger place. Do you understand that even after all the heightened costs, because we're going into a massive location, 22 and a half acres and 207,000 square feet. That's all on the same system. Even with all the increases of how much it costs to run that place. Do you understand just sheer mortgage to rent? We save 200 grand a year just moving in there. Are you kidding me? That's if we don't get any renters. We have a company going to lease out the entire thing. If they can lease out the entire thing, you're going to begin to see what it would look like for us to have no mortgage payment. That's a whole different ballgame. So anyway, I'm going to leave that for week four. That's fun to think about, right? But here's, here's my point. We wanted to be in a campus where we actually had neighbors. We wanted to be around people. We wanted to have parks. We wanted to have schools we could love on. We wanted to have neighborhoods we could walk around and pray for. And so we're a little bit closer to civilization, praise the Lord, all right? But what's important to know is that we watched a miracle occur. We watched a miracle occur through this campaign. We, as in typical Bridgeway fashion, did everything wrong. Because everyone that you would go to and you'd say, hey, how should we run a campaign? They would say, we'll do it like this. So we took that book and we stomped on it and we did it wrong. We did the opposite. We came to you and said, we have a short window of opportunity. We have 60 days to raise pledges for $4 million. And we did it in the summer. Anyone that knows anything about church structure, don't do anything in the summer. No one shows up right? Kind of, it's all over the place. Don't do that. We had no option. It was a limited window and they were going to pull it off the market. We came in and said, guys, we have 60 days. Are you with us? Let's pray and see what the Lord does. Within 60 days, we had pledges for $4 million. That's radical. Amen. Give God glory on that one. God can do anything. The congregation came together, pledged more than $4 million. Here's what's awesome. 3.1 million has already been collected to date. That's incredible. We're fulfilling pledges. If you remember, the the pledges and the money that was needed was not just to purchase the place, but it was to retrofit so we can move in. That money is still required. But here, and this is my fun reveal for today, as of Monday at 4 o'clock, I signed the documents for our new home. We close escrow as of October 6th. 
and we would then get the keys and begin retrofitting the place so that we might be ready to move as a family late January of 2016. It takes a while to get that place ready. And so that's what we're going to be talking to you about. So the way that we want you to be involved in all this is make sure you are here on week four. We are going to fire out commitment cards to you and say, hey, you made a pledge or you're new or this is what was going on. We want you to pray through it. Some of you said, you know what, Lance? I actually made a pledge and I wasn't able to keep it. I gave it in faith saying, Lord, if you allow me to keep my job, if you allow all things to be like this, I would like to give this. And you know what, Lance? I lost my job. Here's what I don't want you to have. I don't want you to have any guilt. That is absolutely inappropriate. As a family, you said, Lord, if you bless me, this is what I will do. If God said, well, we're going to turn that faucet off, then there's nothing for you to do. I don't want any of you carrying guilt on that. Now, the rest of us have to pick up that piece. Absolutely. And so some of us need to pray and go, did I pledge enough? I remember just in terms of in my life, I pledged what I thought I could do based on my consistent salary. And then there was some extra stuff on the side and I was able to add to it. Well, if that's something that has happened to you and you go, oh, that's cool, you can actually adjust it up and help cover those that weren't able to. So we'll talk about all that coming up. There's just one thing that I need from you today, and that is there's a few of you that said in the next couple weeks, I'd love to be part of the process of getting all this stuff organized, mailing, calling, stuff like that. And you said, hey, just sign me up for a limited time fun group. Lydia is sitting in the lobby waiting for you. After this service, you go out and you sign up and say, I can make calls. I can put on labels. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. If you want to be part of this process, make sure you contact Lydia. All right. All right. Everybody excited about this? Yeah. All right. Good, good, good. Now the real heart of what we're doing here and and what we're talking about Um, I want to share with you from my heart that there's been uh, a challenge since the moment I got into pastoral ministry that I've never quite been able to shake, although I'm maturing to where I'm dealing with it better. And that is, as a shepherd, I want to do everything for everyone all the time. It's very hard to have people come up and you get to minister to them and they have a need and you don't do anything about it. Or let's say somebody comes up and they said, I have an awesome ministry idea. My personality wants to say, yeah, let's go do that too. Woo! And then all of us are doing different ministries. All right. The problem with that is it doesn't have alignment and it can't be supported. So what we have to do periodically as an organization is assess what we're called to do, assess what's working and what's not, and begin to do some tailoring. There are things and gaps in our church that I would look at and I would go, you know what? We're not doing that well. Uh, sometimes you go to church and you go, man, they sure do seem to be not great at that. I wonder if Lance knows that I have a book of how many things aren't working out. All right. So whatever you think, you know, I got about 10 over that, right? What are we going to do about those? We need to talk about them as a family. So let me just give you a quick rundown on what we're going to be addressing over the next couple weeks. Practically, uh, give me an example. One of them is weekdays versus weekends. I think we do our weekends really, really well. I believe that there is a high level of engagement with God. I believe that there is involvement and excitement. I think that as you can see, we're, we're full with joy and people are coming to know the Lord and there's revival happening and there's power and there's the Holy Spirit's walking among us and, and we're deep in the word of God. I think weekends are rocking. I think our weekdays are lame. 
What does that mean? It means that it's too hard to live a Christian life from weekend to weekend. We need consistent discipleship. We need consistent connection. We need to have ministry going in between. And even though the only ones really that are doing that excellent right now, in my opinion, are the youth, the youth and, and uh, yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. The youth and Bridgeway young adults and in our journeys ministry, those are firing on a lot of cylinders of saying, Hey, we not only meet on the weekend, we also meet here in the middle. And what we need to do is develop a better way by which we can connect with you throughout the week so that you are consistently engaging with the family of God. That's something that we're thinking about. Another one is just getting us connected as a family. Uh, we're still way too apart. You're still walking in going, I don't know any of these people. I don't even know what to do. Everyone tells me to turn around and say, hi, that's the most awkward time of the service. And then I just want to go, uh-huh, can I sit down now? I get that. You know what I see when I walk up here? I know most all of you. I'm looking out and it's literally like my friends and family are with me. I want you to feel that way. I want you to walk in and go, I know them, 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 them. Or you got your crew, right? You don't need to know everybody. You just got your crew where you go to get coffee and then someone's calling you and going, dude, where were you at? And we need to be connected, right? That's kind of the point of church. And so we got to work on that a lot more. We also need to intensify and intentionalize our mission into the world and actually tell someone that doesn't know Jesus about Jesus. I know that's a weird idea, right? That we would actually be salt and light, but I think it's kind of important. So we need to find ways to integrate purposefully into our community to bless them and love on them. We are doing it right now. We're just doing it haphazard. We're doing it right now, but we're all doing it on our own agendas. Wouldn't it be nice if we were more organized in how we loved on our community, right? And took care of them. We also need the appropriate leadership to get us there. We need to get the right people leading you on board so that we can be maximized. We need to care for those who care for you. We have volunteers burning out and we need people to come in and help. We have staff members who we can't necessarily afford to pay appropriately for doing all the things that they do because money is just tight. And so we're going to talk about those things. But the final thing that we need to talk about, and this is kind of where I'm going to launch off, is that we need to be more intentional, more intense in discipleship to make sure you get mature in the Lord. Now, you go, man, that's kind of what we do really well. It's what we're here for. As we're assessing what's working and what's not, let me give you this. If you take notes, you may want to jot down this one word. It's a very important word for Bridgeway. It's a word that resonates in my heart, always has, and it's something that comes out of my mouth very easily. If you were to ask, what is Bridgeway looking to do? What do we consider a success? How do we know when we are doing our job? Now, we are not God. We can't save anyone. We are not, obviously, uh, Jesus incarnate to where we're not able to do certain things that he does. But here's what we're looking for. If we were to answer, what's the core result we seek from God's people here at Bridgeway? It's one word. Transformation. I don't mean a little bit of change. I don't mean I'm in a new phase of life. I don't mean I can do some more sin management. I mean transformation. Going from one sort being morphed into another. I'm talking about what Bridgeway is all about is are you more like Jesus or not? 
I'm talking about breaking chains. I'm talking about breaking addictions. I'm talking about being touched, being healed, being loved on, knowing your father, knowing his word. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from the inside out. Are you becoming shaped by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. That's what we're all about. This is what Bridgeway does, and we want to be excellent at it. Since we can't do it, we set the table for you to have dinner with Jesus, and he does it. You know what I mean? But our job is to set you up and equip you and get you into the right place so you can be transformed. Until you are perfect and mature in Christ, our job is not done. So we will continue to minister to you. We need you to be a part of that with us. Do you realize that church is designed, the local church is designed to make all believers mature. And you go, what? Come on. There's no way that can happen. Oh yeah, it can. Are you with me in Ephesians chapter four? Let's dive into God's word on this. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus and he's explaining how God orchestrated the church that we might be right that we might be healthy, that we might be transformed, that we might be morphed into who we were designed to be. And here's what he said. Check this out. And God, and he gave the church groups of people like this, samples, apostles. Those are the ones that were big leadership that launched movements. He gave them apostles. He gave them prophets, those who would speak for God, that would help everyone understand the will of God. He gave the church evangelists that would carve out new territory and share the gospel with those that did not know that the church might be scooping in the unsaved. He gave the church shepherds, those that worry about making sure everyone is protected and safe and growing and nurtured. And he gave the church teachers who would help them understand the will of the Lord that they might do it, right? So he gave all these leader types for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, how much? Until we all attain. What does all mean in Greek? All. all. Praise God. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Boom. That's a lot. Yeah. Until everybody is firing on all cylinders, locked and loaded in maturity, we are not done. You are not done. You do not just get saved, get your little heaven ticket. There's more to it than that. That actually what we're engaged in and involved in is that some of us look that we were cleansed of our past. We jump too far in the future to heaven and forget there is a now. Right now, God has more for you. Right now, God is sanctifying you. He's transforming you. He's making you into something more. He's breaking even more chains. He's lifting up even more power. He's encouraging you and giving you new and fresh vision. Right? That's why we're here. Why do we need to grow? Notice it didn't say he's going to make us what? Perfect. We're not going to be perfect. If our goal was perfection, I'm out. I'm not leading you. I'll tell you that. It's not perfection, it's maturity. Maturity is different than perfection. Maturity, you can think of as a parent who can now watch and guide other people and reproduce themselves. A parent isn't perfect. A parent is a parent. 
right? So there's a level to where you know your God and you're locked solid. A parent doesn't know all theology, but they know who they love. A parent doesn't have the answers to everything, but they know where to get some answers. A parent doesn't have every possibility, but they know that the Holy Spirit does. So we are looking to make all believers mature in Christ. There's a bunch of you that are so far down that road, it's just out of water. Literally, you've been sitting here, you're ready to rock, you're ready to lead, and you're only waiting for a spark. I don't even have anything more to give you. You've got enough. It's time to get in the game, right? Oh, we'll get into that later. That's a different ministry. Here we go. Verse 14. Why do we need to be mature? So that we may no longer be children, immature, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What's that mean? You got to grow up to the point where you stand up to the bullies. Satan's lying to you. He's wrecking your joy. And there's a time in your life when you need to take what God says and say, I believe it. That settles it. I'm not having this discussion with you anymore. And the whole time the enemy's trying to fire in. Well, you know, you're this, you're that, you're that. You're going, hold on. I know God's word and that's not who I am. So you need to shut down. You understand your authority and your power in Christ. You begin to understand that you're a child of God and your access to the king. You begin to understand the resources of heaven are available for you. And all this maturity allows you to not be moved on every change in the weather. That's what we're trying to look for. Amen. Woo. Here we go. Told you I'd yell. Praise God. And then look at the last part of it. Verse 16. Uh, excuse me, 15. Rather, how are we going to do this? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Until everyone's firing on all cylinders, we are not the church we were designed to be. Therefore, if you go, no, I'm cool hanging out and just doing my own thing. I'm not cool with you doing that. I'm going to go get on your case. You understand what I'm saying? I need you at max capacity because we all need you and you need us. All right. So we keep moving on. How about this one? Turn to me with me to John 13 verse 14, John 13, 14, bounce back to the left. Do you realize that the only way we have ever grown in life is role modeling? The idea of why your kids talk the way they do is because of you. The reason why they like certain things is they were introduced to them by you. If you don't have any, uh, let's say, um, if you have no access to horses, your kids probably don't grow up automatically thinking they're ranchers if they've never been around it. Okay. Um, if you're an astronaut, your kids will know more about space. The point is they role model. It's always been that way, always will be. And it's the way we will be till we die. We're all just grown up, what, little kids and grown up bodies, right? So we're all trying to role model and reproduce something or someone. We look at someone that we think is cool in our minds and we begin to be like them. That's why Jesus instituted a concept called discipleship, imitation reproduction, duplication. Yeah. 
So he said stuff like this, John 13, 14. Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, 14. It was not just Jesus that said that. It would be fine if we all just said, hey, guys, Jesus is the perfect example of a life submitted to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just do what he does, man. WWJD. Why do we got to move on? I mean, just do what Jesus would do if you were in your spot. And you're like, well, Jesus didn't have the Internet. Okay. We have to have someone practical around us. Paul knew that. And so Paul said, you're going to constantly go, well, how would have Jesus handled this? We need a tangible, present role model and discipler. So Paul starts using phrases like, follow me as I follow Christ. And you go, whoa, that's pretty gutsy. Follow you as you follow Christ? He's like, yeah, Jesus is gone. I'm right here. I'm following him. Wherever I follow him, you follow me. Why? Because I'm going to give you a practical example on how to live. Look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. In other words, he was so into the role modeling discipling that he said, I have been tracking on Jesus so tightly, I want you to follow me. And to give you an example on how much I pour that into other people, here's my buddy Timothy. You looking at him looks like you're looking at me. Man, he is a duplicate of me. I'm a duplicate of Jesus. He's a duplicate of me. And I'm going to send him to you so you can be a duplicate of him. And you go, oh, man, it'd be so cool if we had like Paul or Jesus or Timothy today. Hold up. Turn with me to Hebrews 13, 7. It didn't stop there. It kept going. It, it, we had to realize that just as Paul was tangible in his day, he gone. That means who's here right on Hebrews 13, seven, the author says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It keeps going. We all need to role model to each other. We need to role model people. We can see them act out their life and how they would handle real life situations every day or we're not going to grow. You will not grow very rapidly in isolation. You know how you get a recipe? If you only had a book recipe and you make it and you're like, is this how it's supposed to taste? How would you know? And if you get it wrong, who are you going to ask? It's just a book. It already gave you the information. So you try to go back and follow it. What you don't realize is that there's a nuance and an art form to it, but you don't know that unless you watch that person cook right in front of you. And then you try it and you look at it again and go, what's wrong with this? And they tell you, and then you adjust, and then you adjust, and then you adjust, and then it becomes just like theirs. What is the problem with this whole process? You ready? Duplication and imitation demands proximity. Duplication and imitation demands proximity. What's proximity mean? Closeness, nearness. Oh, that's where our society is not awesome. 
we don't know each other. So how in the world are you going to see how I handle problems day to day? All you're going to see is me either up on stage or me praying for you or me having one shot in the hallway where I give you a hug. How are you going to know how to handle the situation at work that Jesus doesn't talk about, that Paul doesn't talk about and isn't recorded in scripture? How are you going to know that? You've got to know one another. We have to be closer. We have to be near those that are guiding us. We have to open our lives to one another and be more involved so that we know what we're doing. Do you understand the call that God is calling on your life right now? You can't do it alone. This is not merely an event. So how do we become what God desires us to be? He designed us a church. He designed us a community where we are iron sharpening iron a place where we are encouraging and spurring one another on. But you're not in church if you're not a part of church. Attending and observing is not going to church. It's attending an event. Here's what I believe. For many years, I thought there was one way to do church. As a young pastor, I wanted to do it right. Man, I read every book. I did everything. I analyzed everything. And I wanted to do church right because I wanted to honor my king. It wasn't until I matured a little bit that I realized there are thousands of ways to do church. And not only are there thousands of ways to do it, there has to be thousands of ways to do it. Why? Because God disciples a region, not just an individual church. Do you realize that in our region we have to have large churches? Why? Because there's something we can do collectively, even our buying power, even our influence power and our impact power that other churches cannot do. There has to be large churches. If Bayside doesn't do what Bayside does, we can't do what we do. We rely on a relationship with them. They are out there scooping up so many people that have never heard of Jesus and they're doing it brilliantly and they're wonderful at what they do. If they're not in our region, we lose. Do you also realize that the world in our region needs small churches? Why do they need small churches? Because sometimes the sheep are never seen, never looked in the eye, and never cared for. They would have uh, parasites that they have no idea about, and no shepherd has the time to slow down and go, what's going on? If there are not small churches, sheep aren't seen. If they're not here, we don't win. We lose. Do you realize there has to be radical, crazy churches? You're like, oh, I don't like those. (laughs) If there's not radical and crazy churches, no one is advancing and attacking the enemy. Nobody's going ballistic and trying to figure out what God has for them. Nobody's pushing the boundaries. Nobody's learning. Nobody's growing. What ends up happening is they do something. We call them an idiot and then later on figure out it's a cool idea. Right? All right. We need radical, crazy churches. Do we also need peaceful, boring churches? Yes, we do. Why? Because some of us get so burnt out in life and all we need to do is find a church where we can nap. You know what I'm saying? Here's why. You need to finally be peaceful. You need to finally go, I'm not getting racked all the time. I need to be in a safe location where I can be restored. I don't need constantly to be hassled. In this season of life, I just need to be okay. You don't have any safe places. Everybody's agitated all the time. What I'm saying is that our region 
is full of difference on purpose. And it's critically important. So what is our job as Bridgeway? As a local church, what part do we play? Because we can't play them all. We can't be the big church and the small church. We can't be the radical church and the safe church. We can't be. It's hard. So what do we do? Let me give you what I think our calling is. Equipping the body of Christ to be what Jesus designed us to be. I believe that we are equipping church and a discipling church. That means some very specific things. Our philosophy hinges on this concept right here. We train you for 24-7 outreach. If this fails, our philosophy fails. Here's my point. When we pull you out of the world, out of your job, when we bring you in here, we are going to equip you, lock and load, train you, give you everything we need, uh, everything you need. We will rattle your cage. We will mess with your world. We will do all sorts of training and equipping so that you can get right back out and do what you were supposed to do. You're on as salt and light 24-7. The only time you take a break from that, even a little bit, is when you come in and get trained. You get right back out there and you mix with the world. If you only spend time hanging out in church and then you go to another little bubble of only little Christians and then you go back to your other little bubble of little Christians, it's not working. Why in the world are we loading you with gas for you to go nowhere and come back and get more gas? Because then I'm going to fill you up and now we got toxic spill all over the ground. Man, you better come back on empty. Because then I'm going to reload you back up and then you're going to drive as hard and fast as you possibly can, come back in on fumes and we'll lock and load you again. But use what we're giving you. Amen? Amen. All right. So what are we? What is our identity? What do we want to be? What do we feel like is the ethos of Bridgeway? Here's the phrase that we would like to use. We'll throw this up on the board. And you can feel free later on to take that down because I never tell you when. Sorry. You ready? We believe that we are called to be a scripture-soaked, spirit-led community, expectantly seeking transformation into our identity in Jesus. What does it mean to be scripture-soaked? It means that God's word matters, and it matters a lot. It means that Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes, believes him who sent me has eternal life. In Romans, it says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Ephesians 5 says that a husband should wash his wife with a word, speaking of how Jesus washes his church with the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said, and we thank God constantly that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You remember that it was the man who heard the word of God and put it into practice that built his house upon the rock, that when the storms came, he didn't get knocked down. You know that as God scattered the seed of the word, that those that had a hard heart, the birds came down and stole it away from you. But those who had their hearts ready, it grew fruit and began to flourish. We are anchored to the word of God. We always have been, always will be. Why? Because we need a tether down into the bedrock of who Jesus is so that when we go around adventuring, we have a way home. 
I want you to understand that everything we do, we want to be scripture soaked. We believe there's a lot of ways God is speaking to us. The most easily understandable bedrock happens to go back to the word of God. So we're going to be experts in the word of God. It's how we do it. What does it mean to be spirit led? Check this out. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Are you a son of God? Then you better be led by the spirit, right? Then it says this, if we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. That means he isn't just hanging around. He's going somewhere. Are you keeping in step with him? Do you even know how to track on him? Because we better be tracking on him. Revelation said this, he who has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to what? The churches. The Holy Spirit is the one communicating to us and revealing what Christ wants and revealing the will of the Father. If we're not tracking on the Holy Spirit, stuff is not going to get done. We better be scripture soaked and spirit led. Let me give you an example on what it means or what it would look like to be spirit led. You ready for this? The Bible says that as Jesus was going to begin his ministry, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then he led him out of that wilderness in power. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't get in the wilderness. Do you understand that Simeon, great guy, was told by the Holy Spirit he would see the Messiah, then was led into the temple by the Holy Spirit, and there was the baby Jesus. He wouldn't have seen it without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sure enough, Philip, the evangelist, he's walking around, and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch drive up in a chariot, and the Holy Spirit tells him, go and stand by the chariot and do some ministry. How did he tell him? I have no idea. What about Peter? He has this big vision. And then it says this. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation for I have sent them. If Peter was not led by the Holy Spirit, the Gentiles did not receive the Holy Spirit and this church doesn't even exist. In the church in Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on him and sent him off. And perhaps my favorite, Acts 16, 6, Paul and his crew are trying to figure out what God wants. Where should they minister? Listen to this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I'm sorry, what? The Holy Spirit blocked you from ministering. How does that work? I don't know. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. What? Now Jesus is blocking them. That's super weird. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, stuck at the edge of the ocean, going, God, what do you want? There he gets the Macedonian vision. And it's the whole reason why the gospel went into Europe and began to move all over throughout the world. If we are not tracking on what God is doing, if we are not listening, if we are not attuned to what the Holy Spirit's leading is, our church will be useless. You understand what I'm saying? We are anchored and we are firm in who we are and what we believe. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ in the Gospels. However, God has a lot to do. And we better be spirit-led tracking on him and saying, yes, God, more of that. What's the core result of what we seek at Bridgeway for God's people? Transformation. So we need to adjust our weekdays. 
We need to be in smaller gatherings because the big thing isn't the only way to do it. We've got to get around each other and have somebody know when you're missing. We need to get connected. We need to serve in the church because it's not just an event. It's a lifestyle. We need to be salt and light intentionally together. And we need to be purposeful in how we grow. These are the things I'm going to reveal to you over the next couple of weeks on how we're going to do that. Does that sound exciting? We are in process. I will tell you things about what we have already accomplished and I will tell you future goals of things that we are still building. That requires patience. That requires grace. We don't know everything of how to do it. What we need is you involved. What we need is your uh, trust in us that as we're adjusting these things, we are doing them for your benefit. So therefore, we need your partnership but we really need you to hang in there while we're making all the necessary adjustments. I understand the last couple of years have been hard, but understand we are entering into a different season. We are entering into a season of joy, a season of abundance, a season of fun. We still have some hard steps to just get over to get there, but we're on our way. I tell you this before, I'll tell you it now. I've never been more convinced that we are locking in our infrastructure, becoming more healthy, and hurtling towards the glory that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May it be so. May everything that you have revealed to us, everything, Holy Spirit, that was really your intention and design, that that would come through. Lord, we want to partner with that. We want to chase you where you're going, that if you are going to the right, we want to go to the right. If you're going to the left, we want to go to the left. God, in, uh, just fire up our hearts as to what part we're going to play individually in this. Are we going to be serving in kids' way? Are we going to be in a, a smaller gathering, a missional community? Are we going to be part of a ministry? Are we going to lead and guide? Are we going to support with our finance? God, what is it that you want us to do? Because we want to do all of that. So Lord, bring up the vision and continue to lead and guide us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. amen.